But I wanted to, um, I, I wanted to, in light of the, the, the scripture that I'm reading today, um, I, I came across a, a prayer refer, a reflection that was written by Pastor Roddy Hamilton. He serves at the New Kilpatrick Parish Church in Scotland. And he wrote this beautiful prayer reflection. We're reading today about the children of Israel in the wilderness as they were being led through and Moses hitting the rock and water coming out. You probably heard that story. Um, it's a good story, right? And so I wanted, to, uh, I wanted this to set the tone for our prayer today. And so if you all will just uh, close your eyes, bow your heads, and I'm going to read Pastor Roddy's prayer reflection that I think um, is a good place for all of us to be. There have been times in my life when I could only long for the future, for wilderness was all there was, an ordinariness that ate my soul and spoke only dry, thirsty words to me. That even as I tried to hold them back, you deliberately broke through to open dreams of flowing waters and feasts of plenty, of cups running over and tables set with banquets. For in my everydayness, I find I live a wilderness life more than a kingdom life. I live not looking for water in the desert, nor with expectation that it is willing to flow if only I ask for it. I walk through my days expecting nothing more than today's happening repeated tomorrow, not daring to hold out for, nor expecting the rocks to break open and for water to gush, or for flowers to bloom in the desert places, or a word to crack apart the everydayness and reveal a new story, or bread to fall open and reveal the feast of the kingdom in every crumb. Give my soul the longing, Lord, that I might expect in all the everydayness that the light of justice will break through and the word of promise will be heard and the act of kindness will be recognized and then celebrated as a gift from you that changes that wilderness moment into a kingdom event, like water flowing in the desert that will feed my hungry soul with promise and delight, where the ordinary wilderness becomes the birthing place of your promises yet to be. God, this is our prayer today. May we be open to see you anew, to look around at the everyday, to look around at this place filled with these people that we see every Sunday, sitting in the same spot, looking at the same things out this same window, day in and day out, week after week. May we encounter you anew today. May we expect the unexpected. May we look for solutions to problems that are outside of our box of thinking. And when we encounter those spaces, when life is not working out as we think it should, may we expect you to move in new and fresh ways. This is our prayer today, Lord. We hope for you, we expect you, we look for you. 
We lift up all those who are sick among us, our ladies on the walk to Emmaus and the volunteers that are serving them. Give them safe travel back. All the folks that are watching on Facebook this morning, those who are too ill to join us or maybe are unable, and so they try as best they can to stay connected through a computer screen, may they know that they are part of this family, that we are all in this wilderness together. We are looking for amazing things this morning. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, folks, like I said, we are reading that famous story in the book of Exodus about Moses producing streams of water in the desert. We just sang about that. This comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. Listen now for a word from the Lord. From the wilderness of sin, not uh, sin as in... uh, doing bad things. That was the name of the desert, okay? Just, just to keep that. From the wilderness of sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people complained against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it, so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? A word from God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. All right, so we know what the Bible is. What about God? What about God? Big subject. Ooh, that's good. We could just stop right there. Lee? I I didn't intend for this to be, but that's okay. Lee? Lee? Of being. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, okay, good. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else want to offer anything? When you think of God, what do you think of? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody else? So. Yeah, I am, which is what Mike said. Yeah, Stacy. Energy. Love. Love. 
omnipresent, yeah. Forgiving. Yeah. So you guys are you're, you're saying all the things that I have right here on my paper, right? This, this is it. When you think of, when we, when, yeah, we can go home. This is it. When you think of uh, what is God, you'll get some answers like that. Like God is, uh, uh, some people think of uh, kind of like the old man in the sky. You've seen the guy with the beard, you know, the big old wise man in the sky. But then other people talk more like kind of what Lee's saying, like a super being or a hyper being that is uh, kind of outside of the universe, but occasionally like reaches in and kind of mixes stuff up here. We call that supernatural stuff. Uh, Some people say more like energy or love or uh, compassion. You know, they'll, they'll talk about God in that way. Uh, some people talk about God as a higher power. Uh, some people even say God is the universe itself, you know. You'll hear these different ways that people talk about God. Then you talk about, well, what is God like? Then you get into the omnis, right, the omnis. So God is omnipresent, meaning God is everywhere. Uh, God is omnipotent, meaning God is all-powerful. God is omniscient, meaning God is all-knowing past, present, and future. A lot of people would add all good, although, although I don't think there's an omni word for that. We should create an omni word for all good. Of course, all these things that we're saying this morning, everything that we have just said has been given to us by someone else. Someone said it before you, and you latched on to that thing. Even the idea of the great I am, somebody had to tell us that God revealed himself to Moses as I am. These are not things that we have come up with ourselves. These are things that have been given to us. And probably, if we were honest with ourselves, everything that we have just said about God falls short of what God actually is, right? The theologian St. Anselm in the 11th century said this. He said, you know, God is greater than the greatest thing that can be conceived. In other words, imagine what God is like, and then God is bigger than that. And whatever that is that you imagine God to be, then God is bigger than that. Whatever Whatever it is that you imagine God to be, God is the next step beyond that so that you can never imagine what God is. That's how great God is. That's what God is like. But all of us, all of us sitting in this room this morning have an idea of what God is like. And all of us are invested in that idea, that image of God that you hold in your mind. We are invested in that. We have spent our lives dedicated to worshiping and praying to this God that we hold in our imaginations. So what happens when God doesn't fit into the mold that you have created for God? When you think you've got God nice and boxed up and tidy, and God doesn't play by those rules, then what do you do? Well, the Israelites, God bless them. Here they are out in the wilderness, and they are just beginning to form 
their ideas of what God is like. Now, you have to remember, these folks lived in Egypt for 400 years. Sure, they had heard stories about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but all they knew was Egypt and the gods of Egypt. And there were many, many gods of Egypt. And so I'm sure that they had plenty of gods to look at and think about and those gods in Egypt helped formulate their ideas of what a god generally might be like. But this was a brand new thing. They were not in Egypt anymore. They were in the wilderness following a god called I Am and this guy named Moses with a staff. And so they're carrying out of Egypt all these preconceived notions of what a God must be like, and they're applying these things to this new God that they're following in this new season, in a new place. And this God chooses to lead them through a wilderness, a desert place, barren, void of food and water. Yes, they were told they were headed to a land filled with milk and honey, and that'll be great when we get there. But in the meantime, we're in this place of sand and dirt and dust and not much else. You might even call this the valley of the shadow of death. I think there's a psalm that talks about that. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is where they were walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And when they got thirsty, well, they felt some kind of way about that, as we all would too. If I get thirsty, I'm probably going to say something about it. And the narrator tells us that in that moment, they grumbled and complained to Moses. And then Moses turns and grumbles and complains to God, what am I going to do with these people that are about to throw rocks at me? And God, well, God doesn't seem too bothered either way. <laughs> Just simply says, oh, hit this rock over there and water will come out. We got stuff to do. And so magically, this water appears out of a rock. It's a story we've read a thousand times. We've drawn images from this story into our Christian passages in the New Testament, Christ being our rock, streams of living water flowing in the desert. But the last line in this story today caught my attention this week because I thought, you know, this last line in this story tells us more about what's going on really behind the scenes in this passage, more than anything else. So I, wanna, I want you to see this again. Moses, legend, pull this up for us, will you? Moses called the place Massa, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling, because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? One theologian said he basically gave the name of this place uh, Testingville and Quarrelsburg. Because the Israelites here are quarreling against the God that they imagine. Right? 
They're in the desert. They have a concept of what God is like. And they are quarreling against this imagined God. They say, if God is among us, because we've seen plenty of gods in Egypt, we know how the gods work. If God is among us, we would have water. And we don't have water, so God must not be among us. You see how they're working this here? You see how this is working? We know how gods work. Gods provide for their people. We don't have a basic necessity, water, which means our God must not be here. God was not checking all the boxes of what they imagined God must be like. Hence, they quarreled and tested Moses, and they tested God. There was a theologian back in 1959 named Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich took another approach. You know, in the 50s, science was really uh, doing its thing. And we had, we had a lot of stuff going on in the scientific world back in the 50s and 60s. And Paul Tillich conceded that science really was putting pressure on our imagined God. That God, as we imagine, science was really kind of putting some pressure on that to prove itself. And the God that we had long imagined just wasn't showing up in the evidence. We know this, this split today between science and faith. We talk about that. And the bulk of scientists back then and, and, and probably even today said, well, because the God that we imagine isn't showing up in the evidence, we must be atheists. Because we don't see that God. So we don't believe in that God. And really, to claim atheism is just a quarrel against a theistic notion of God. You understand what I'm saying? To claim theism is to claim a certain box that God fits in. And when God doesn't fit in that box, the scientists say, well, then we must not be that. We're atheists. We're not theists. We're atheists. Now, Paul Tillich, smart guy, he could have followed the same evidence that the, that the scientists were uncovering and putting out there, and he could have come up with the same conclusion. In fact, many of us do. We all have family members, people that we know, that look at the evidence and say, well, I don't see that God in that box, and so I guess I don't believe in that God. I must be an atheist. But Paul Tillich took a different approach. This is what Paul Tillich said. Next slide, legend. He said, A God whose existence or non-existence, you can argue, is a thing beside others within the universe of existing things. It is regrettable that scientists believe that they have refuted religion when they rightly have shown that there is no evidence whatsoever for the assumption that such a being exists. Actually, they have not only refuted religion, but they have done it a considerable service. They have forced it to reconsider 
and to restate the meaning of the tremendous word God. Do you understand what Paul Tillich is saying here? The scientists say the God that you've handed us in the box, we don't see. And Paul Tillich says, you're right. So, we can turn our backs on God, or, Paul Tillich says, we can turn our backs on the boxed God, the imagined God, in an effort to find a more faithful one, a more faithful understanding of God. When we say the tremendous word God, we should really think about what that means. Because God is worthy of this thought, this idea, this, this really sitting down and figuring out the hard stuff. As Anselm said, if you can imagine it, you're already falling short, right? So let's, let's not just like throw out there this prepackaged notion of God that's so easy to kind of put pressure on. Let's like really do the hard work. And so Paul Tillich set about to do that. In 1959, what do we mean when we say the word God? But let me tell you, folks, that's scary. That's a scary prospect. You know why? Because I have lived my entire life serving the God that I imagine, praying to the God that I imagine sending out my prayers, worshiping, showing all my devotion, giving my entire life to this God I imagine. And so when you start messing with that imagination, that boxed God, that's very, very uncomfortable. But when that image fails you, just as we see with the children of Israel here, They've got a concept of what God is like, and God's not checking those boxes. And so they just go, well, God must not be here then. God must not be around. It's like a weak form of atheism there. The God that we imagine is not here for us. I guess we're on our own. When that image that you have of God fails you, I see four options. Four options that you, can, that you can go to. Option number one is you can shake your fist at God. God, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Everybody knows that God's provide water in the desert for their people. You're not playing by the rules, God. Right? This is what the Israelites do. Moses, what's up? We're dying of thirst here. We would rather be in Egypt. God, you're not playing by the rules. That's option number one. Option number two, just abandon God. I, I can't believe in that God, so I'm not going to follow that God. That's what the scientists and the atheists do, right? Now, the third option, which a lot of us do, is to stay faithful to the God that we imagine, claiming, well, we don't understand now, but one day we will. It'll all be made clear. And so I'm just going to stay faithful to this boxed God that I hold in my imagination, and someday it'll be made clear. That's not a bad option. To appeal to mystery, 
Not a bad option. Here's where that gets a little rocky. When you're going through intense suffering, great suffering, when you have people who are suffering in your life and they want some answers for why this is happening and you just say, well, we don't really know, but we're going to trust this boxed God of ours to reveal it all later. I mean, I'm talking, I'm talking about damaging stuff. If you've got a family who has lost a little one and they want some answers and you say, well, we don't know. It's not very helpful in, in your search for God, right? That, that's just that, that answer kind of falls flat. And so the fourth option, which is what Paul Tillich is suggesting we do, is to go back to the drawing board and really examine our constructed ideas of what God is like. Like do the hard work. And say maybe it's not God that's failing us here. Maybe it's our imaginations that are failing us. And when I look at Jesus, I see Jesus playing to this fourth option, right? I see Jesus working really, really hard to get us to reimagine God. You realize Jesus is really kind of the first one that I know of to refer to God as Father. You didn't get that chummy with God in the Old Testament. God is the thundering God up on the mountain that comes down in clouds and shakes everything and everybody runs and hides because it's just too scary. And God, Jesus says, no, God is your Father. God is Abba to you. Right? Change the way you think about God. Let's reimagine God here. God is Father, one that you can pray to personally. It's a big shift. Jesus tends to invite all the wrong people to sit at the table. He is constantly getting in trouble from other people for sitting down with prostitutes and tax collectors, and he's eating with all the wrong people and hanging out with them and touching them and do, just like, no, Jesus, that's not the God that we know. And Jesus says, I want you to reimagine God. Do better. Come up with a better idea of God. Because the God of Jesus doesn't play favorites. The God that Jesus presents to us is not one that says, you are acceptable, but you are not. I will hang out with you. I won't hang out with you. Jesus says, rethink God. I mean, of course, we have Jesus who is just like like over the top in forgiving and choosing not to condemn. The, the lady who was caught in adultery in the Gospel of John, and everybody says, hey, we know what God expects in the law. We're supposed to hit her with rocks until she's dead. And Jesus says, yeah, go ahead. If you're without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And when everybody's gone, when they drop their rocks and they walk away, Jesus, who is the face of God to us, we know what God is like by looking at Jesus. He says, I choose not to condemn you either. I have the right to do, but I choose not to. Now all of a sudden we have this, this God who prioritizes grace over wrath. You see how Jesus is reworking our imagination. He, he's expanding the box a little bit here. Hey folks, 
The God that you've got prepackaged in here is going to fail you. We need to do the hard work and let's, let's reimagine God. This is, this is the entire mission of Jesus. Of course, the cross. What do we get? We get a God who is self-sacrificing. A God who is willing to die for us. That is not the God we imagined of the Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that the Jews have God all wrong because we can find grace in the Old Testament we can find forgiveness. We can find God extending uh, the invitation to the other. God, God sends uh, Jonah to Nineveh. Th- those are the outsiders. And, and Jonah's to go to the, to the Ninevites, the wrong people. We can find all this in the Old Testament. Jesus is just saying, look, look at this and let, let's expand. Let's reimagine God because you have packaged him up in a nice and tidy way, and God's not going to fit in that box for you. We could go on and on and on, because I think this is what Jesus did. But I think what it tells me when I look at, at the mission and the life of Jesus and the way that he walked with the disciples, tells me we should never stop thinking about God, updating our notions of God. If you think you've got God pegged down and well-defined, Anselm would tell you no. Whatever you think, it's bigger than that. So much bigger than that. I want to close with something that uh, uh, Pete N. said. Pete is uh, an author and an Old Testament uh, professor uh, he's got podcasts and some, some other things. And he, uh, I see Pete, in, in, Pete's been walking with the Lord forever. And I see even now Pete is, is trying to do this hard work within himself. He posted this on his Instagram page the other day. Legend, one more slide. Pete said, rather than asking for a distant monarch to come to my aid, I am working on believing that God is ever-present with me in me, around me, invading every part of me down to my subatomic constituents. So that resonated with me because if you haven't noticed, the last several weeks I have been tracking with this. My, my boxed God has been expanding. A couple weeks ago I had you all take off your shoes during the sermon. Why? Because the ground on which you stand is holy. There is no place that God is not. God is not this distant monarch that we have to build a fire big enough to get His attention so He'll come down and save us. Jesus tells us God is here with us. Paul says in us, through us, around us. Every bit of us down to our subatomic constituents, right? God is with us. Emmanuel. And so when I read that, I thought, that's Pete Enns working with his long-held notions of God because they're not working for him anymore. Like, when life comes up, as life is unfolding, God is not fitting nicely into this box. And so Pete says, well, I could shake my fist at God. I can turn my back on God. I can just claim mystery or... I can go back to the drawing board 
and think about my own notions of God and test them and quarrel with them. And so I want to ask you, how about you? How about you? Are you so invested in your imagined God that you're just going to hold to that no matter what? I've got it all figured out. Boy, I know what God is like, and I've been following Him for 30 years. And you're unwilling to wrestle with your own notions. Could this story tell us that when this kind of stuff pops up, that we are not to quarrel and test the God of our imagination, that we are to quarrel and test our own imaginations. Tearing down any high thing that would exalt itself against the true God. If we were to do that, could it be that the God that we discover, the God that is revealed in our own testing and quarreling, exceeds our wildest expectation. The Israelites did not expect water to come out of a rock in the valley of the shadow of death. That is not what they expected. The God that was revealed to them, even though they were quarreling and testing against their imagined God, was a much bigger God, much more gracious God. God says, oh, you've got a problem? No problem. Hit the rock, Mo. Watch this. As Brandy says, God said, hold my beer. I love that. Oh, oh, you've got a problem. Hold my beer. Watch this. Hit the rock. Could it be that if we would lay down our imagined boxed God, that the God that would be revealed to us would exceed our wildest expectations? Could it be that we might also find the impossible happening? Water coming from a rock. Streams flowing in the desert. I have a hunch that's probably what we would find. Let's pray. God, even the God that I pray to right now, I have a... a, a, a notion of what you are like, what I imagine you to be like, and I know that even as I say this to you, and I'm projecting this prayer to some transcendent place, that somehow you are probably right here, even among us, even closer than our subatomic constituents. And that as I walk through life feeling pretty comfortable with the image that I have of you, that when circumstances begin to press on that, that I start to get scared, that we start to get scared because now we're messing with what we thought was right. But if we would just pause for a second, rather than shaking our fist at you, getting mad that you're not playing by the rules, 
turning our back on you, which so many have done, that if we would just sit down and just think about how we perceive you, that you might reveal yourself into new and fresh and bigger ways so that things like no water in the desert are no problem, not, not even an issue, but our thinking of you is so small that we can't even conceive of a way in which our problems might be overcome because the God of our imagination is too small. Help us in this. We are scared to death. We are scared to death of messing with where our trust lies, which is in our preconceived notions of you. And Jesus says we are to put our trust in you, even if we don't fully know you, even if the greatest thing we can imagine falls short of what you actually are. So I guess what I'm asking today, God, is that you relieve those fears. That we go back to the Scriptures and we read these stories and see how you just outdid yourself over and over and over again, expanding our minds, beginning with the Israelites and, and into the disciples of Jesus and later into the young church. As we read these stories, we see you expanding the minds of your people making space for an ever greater understanding of you. That's what we want. Because we know those times of crisis are coming. We know that those circumstances will arise in which the God that we imagine is no longer doing the trick. And then we're at a crossroads. And we want to be the people... who know and love you more. Who are not afraid to examine our own boxed beliefs, things that have been handed to us from other people. And that if we're willing to face that, really I guess what Jesus called the, the death of self, self-imaginations, like if we're willing to face that, What comes out on the other side is so much more than we could have anticipated. God, remember our fragility. Remember that we are dust creatures headed back to the dust. Be patient with us, but also press us. We don't want to be comfortable. We are in this for the long haul. We don't want to be lazy and just say, well, we don't know, but someday we will. We believe that you long to be known right here, right now. But that takes a little bit of death of self first, and that's scary for us. We love you. We look to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
Will you all grab the hand of the person next to you? And will you receive this blessing? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, completely forgiven, and you are uniquely empowered. Now you're called to go out into the world and shine your light for Jesus Christ. Folks, you're going to make some mistakes this week. You're going to hide your light under a bushel because we all do it. But even when you do that, it doesn't change how God feels about you. There's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. There's nothing that you can do that would make God love you less because the Bible tells us God is love. That's all that God can do. That's one thing we don't have to imagine. God is love. So that when he looks at us, he says, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. Can you imagine how it would change your week if you left here believing that? I think you'd have a pretty good week. It's my prayer for you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please go from this place in peace. Amen.